Good morning, everybody. It is so good to be in this great church this Sunday morning. Isn't that terrific? I just you love know, that. As I was driving this morning from the house, as we were driving to the church, as I looked back through the rear view mirror, I saw no KGB, no secret police following us to the church. I said, thank you, Daddy God, for this great country, America. And it is my prayer that not only God will bless this great nation, but we will make God great in this great nation. God bless you. We love you all. Merry Christmas to all of you. You know, we've been here a number of occasions. I've always wanted to sit on that stool back here. I don't know what it is. Well, we are here via an invitation of Pastor Dan Smith, and it's just a pleasure to be with you this morning. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to all of you, and uh, we don't see you. Have a wonderful uh, New Year's and just a great year. We're not able to attend all the time because we do travel, and uh, it's, it's what we do. It's what we love to do. We are at Daystar as well. I think we have some Daystar folks here this morning with us, but we just love this church. We love this pastor, and I have to say that I feel... Um, that the Christmas uh, musical was probably the best I have ever seen anywhere. Oh, come on, you can do better than that. It was just outstanding. I, I know a little bit about the 75-year uh, history of this church. It's rich uh, with the blessings and the goodness and the favor of God. And uh, it's just an honor to be here uh, among you this morning on this side of the pulpit. It's so refreshing for Anusha and I to be able to come and sit and to be renewed and re to be refreshed. And I can tell you that that happens to us every single time we're in this church. And not because it's the thing evangelists are supposed to do, but I do it from my heart. I believe that the uh, leadership and Pastor Dan and others in this church are outstanding. And I also say, I've heard some very good speakers, and I think that Pastor Dan Smith is excellent. Amen? Amen. Amen. <laughs> Speaking of, of excellent speakers, uh, I have no natural brothers. I have a lot of spiritual brothers in the Lord, but I, only, I have a natural sister. Her name is Dorothy. She's several years older than I am. And uh, we email. She's in Florida, and we're in Texas. And so um, we were emailing the other day, which we do quite often. And she said, I don't know how we got around to it, but she asked me, I think, where I was speaking this weekend. And I told her, Bethesda. And she said, oh, Bethesda. And um, so I sort of shared uh, the folks that have been through here and so forth. And, and uh, she wanted the tape of Ravi Zacharias of when he was here, and so I sent that to her. And I, at the end of the email, I said, what do you think? And uh, she listened to the tape, and she sent me back an email. She said, call in sick. <laughs> Speaking of calling in sick, I read a cute little joke the other day about Anthony the Italian Mouse. And Anthony was always calling in sick. He was always late for everything. And uh, his parents wanted to move from Italy to New York. 
and as fate would have it, he was late getting up that morning. And so his parents and his brothers and sisters got on board the boat in time, and they made it to New York, and he finally woke up and recognized that they were gone and said, oh my goodness, and so he finally gets on another ship and makes it there, but now he doesn't know where his family is. So he's looking all over New York City, but he's been on the boat for months, and he's starving to death. And so he finally smells something in the air, and as fate would have it, it's a pizza place. And so he uh, comes up behind the back of the pizza place, and um, he, he just, he's famished. And just about the time he's ready to reach out for a scrap to feed that hunger in his belly, out of the corner of his eye, he sees the biggest cat he has ever seen in his life. So he runs for it. I mean, he is going as fast as he can. And that cat is right behind him. And so he's able to dart into this crack in the wall behind the pizza place. And he's just his just breathing. He's frantic, and he's crying out. He said, oh, God, please, if it's possible, spare my life today, and I'll serve you forever. I'll never be late again, never call in sick again. Well, God answered a prayer, I guess, and all of a sudden, he heard the sound of a large dog, and what pursued sounded like a dog and a cat fight, and at the end of that dog and cat fight, he heard the sound of what seemed to be the last breath of that cat. Well, he knew that God had answered his prayer. He slipped out behind that crack, didn't see anything at all, went back over behind the, the little pizza place and was about to grab that little morsel of pizza again. And there was that cat. That cat snatched him up and had him like this, was about to eat him. And he said, wait a minute. He said, I heard a dog. I heard a cat fight. I prayed that God would save me. You've got to, before you do this, before you take my life, you've got to explain this. He said, man, this is New York. You've got to learn to be bilingual. <laughs> Stand with me, if you would, for the reading of God's Word. 1 Kings chapter 17. A very familiar passage to everyone, but we're going to look at it, I believe, a little bit differently this morning. We'll put a Christmas spin on it, as it were. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, reads in this way. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, And get away from here, and turn eastward, and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan River. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. As you know the rest of this, it says that what? Verse 6, the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise and go to Jerapheth, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. And see, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. 
And he called to her and said, please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. Father, we love you with all of our hearts this morning. We thank you for the Christmas season. What a blessing. The greatest gift that humanity could ever receive is in the gift of swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, the birth of Christ, the Lord, the Savior, our King of kings and Lord of lords. We thank you for that birth. We thank you for the Christmas season, God. And we're not going to get it caught up in the hype of all the things, the commercialism, but Father, we focus this holiday season on you and your love and your grace and your goodness and your mercy. And we pray, God, for the gift of revival for our nation. I don't believe that God's done with America. I think God, before God comes back for the church, God is going to move one last time in the body of Christ. God, after all, is a tall God. His head is in heaven and his body's in this room. And we're the extension of his love. We're an extension of our hands and our feet and our mouths and our hearts and our beings to be servants of the Most High God during this holiday season. Now, Lord, thank you for the iPads and the iPhone 26s that are coming out and all those things that may be underneath the tree. But most of all, we give you our hearts because you've already given us everything that we need for life and godliness to live on this earth. So once again, God, we give you our lives. Thank you so much, God, for the gift of this church to a hurting and lost and lonely world and to this community. Thank you for Bethesda. Thank you for the staff. Thank you for the leadership. Thank you for every man, woman, boy, and girl that is in the sound of my voice this morning. Father, last of all, we love you. We love you. Come on, somebody, help me. Lord, I love you this morning. I love you this morning. I thank you, and I praise you with all my heart. And all God's people said, amen. Before you're seated, turn to your neighbor and say, you know what? You look a lot better than the last time I saw you. The title of my message this morning is, What I Want for Christmas. Everybody's expecting something, I would think, I would hope, that there's going to be a spiritual Santa in your life that will bring something to you and put something underneath the tree or put it in your hand. But I also want to encourage you, and it's not a part of the message, to be a spiritual Santa this year and give something to someone else, someone that's hurting. Maybe it's a prayer, maybe it's a smile, maybe it's a handshake. But whatever it is, be a spiritual Santa this year to someone. Can you say amen? I've thought about it long and hard because, after all, this is a place where a lot of wonderful men and women of God have stood. Ask the Lord over the last couple of weeks, what is it that I could share that could make a difference, especially during the holiday season, during the Christmas time? And I felt that the Lord put a very unusual message in my heart for you this morning. What I want for Christmas, really, is the courage to climb the summit of God, the spiritual summit of God. There are seven summits on seven continents today. The largest or the tallest, at least above sea level, is Mount Everest. It's 29,029 feet, 0.6 inches, depending on the time of year and the snowfall. There's been 341 or 345 people, depending on how you count, people that have climbed the summit of Mount Everest since 1924. 
But there's also been many, many lives that have been lost. Even to this day, they say there are over 250 frozen corpses on the side of that summit. The youngest to have ever climbed Mount Everest, would you believe, 13 years old. The oldest was 80 or 81, depending on uh, the count there. 13 to, to 80, 81 years of age. And I thought about that as I read this. I'm a climber. I've never climbed Everest, and I've never climbed any of those other seven summits that are on seven continents, but I am a climber. I haven't climbed in years, but I love climbing. I love rock climbing. And any time I've ever had a chance to do that, I've loved to do it. It's, it's a thrill. It's exciting. And it is dangerous. Mount Everest is also one of the most dangerous climbs in the world. There's a particular face on, or edge or cliff on the side of Mount Everest where you can uh, develop hypothermia and dizziness and nausea and on and on and on. And again, the, the particular time of year that you go, and anything can happen while you're mountain climbing. But you know, I've never met anyone, I've never seen anybody, I've never uh, interviewed anyone on Christian television that um, had had a problem climbing the mountain of God. It's not always easy to get up to the top. There are challenges. There are a lot of ifs. There are a lot of unknowns. But God, who is rich in mercy, always gives us the power and the strength and the glory and the joy and the purposes of God to move on and to continue climbing. There are times in my life that we have summits. Um, not too long ago, I got sick. It's not something that I like to do or want to do, but, and I don't do very often. Very rarely, as a matter of fact. But I got very, very violently sick. Pastor Dan called me on the phone and and so forth, and others from this church, and you all prayed, and I really appreciate it. I had to climb out of that situation with prayer. Elijah had climbed the sacred mountain of God, and God sends him then because he knew he could trust him. He had been with God. He'd spent time with God. Whether it was on his knees or not, I don't know. You see, the term that we see here in the Hebrew, the God in, in, in whom I stand before, if you would, has been around for many, many, many years. If you go to the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C., over the top of the altar there, you will see an old, beat-up, hacked-up piece of wood. And on that piece of wood says the term, is the term that says, beware our attention of the one that I stand on behalf of. It, it, was, in, it was in the war, and the Nazis came to this particular city when they were taking the Jews away during the Holocaust time, and they were killing them and so forth. And that's, that, that piece of hacked up wood, the Nazis actually brought axes and tore it down off the altar there in a synagogue and took the axes and tried to destroy it, but they could not. And so it ended up by the miracle and the mercy of God in the Holocaust Museum on the Son of God there in Washington, D.C. Deuteronomy 12 and 6, I love this verse, it says this, be strong and be courageous, and do not be afraid or be terrified because of them. For the Lord, your God, will go with you, and he will never leave you nor forsake you. In the dialogue in Exodus 33 and 16, Moses is having with God, you remember. And he, he asked God the question, he said, God, how will the people, the other nations know, how will I know, how will the nation of the Jews, the Hebrews know that we are distinguished, that we've been set apart, that we are different than anybody else, unless your presence go with us. And you remember in chapter 18, he said, Lord, show me, excuse me, in verse 18, he says, Lord, show me your glory. What was Moses saying here? Moses was feeling a little bit unqualified 
like maybe some of us, when God um, orchestrates or gives us or calls us to do a particular thing. And so Moses was feeling a little unqualified, and he was asking God, Lord, I want your presence. I need your presence to go with me. But you will recall in a few verses prior to this that God had already promised Moses that an angel, well, I don't know about you, but if I can't get God in person, I'll take an angel any day of the week when I'm sick or in the hospital or I have a problem or I'm praying and I need an answer from God. Anybody would like an angel in the room? I'll take one any day. And so, but some, for some reason, we see that Moses wasn't quite satisfied with that. And the, the, the question is why? It's very simple. Moses knew that if God sent an angel, a literal angel, that the angel would probably walk in front of him. That would mean that Moses would be walking in back of the angel, which would create what? A distance between the two. Do you know that God never intended to be a to have any distance or separation between us and our relationship with God. Thank God for angels. And I've met people and talked to people that I believe them, that angels appeared to them, and they saw them. And that's a wonderful thing. But it's also a more glorious thing for the presence and the glory of God to permeate every fiber of our being, especially when we know that we have the invitation to climb the spiritual summits of this life that we live in according to the Word of God. Before getting caught up in my daily life and my rat race, and I'll call it that sometimes, it is to some degree, amen, like little Anthony the rat that had his issues when he moved to New York, it's always best for us to take a few moments in the morning and a few moments in the evening, especially during the holiday season, to climb the sacred summits and meet with God. Again, there are seven world summits on seven continents. And this week, I felt that the Lord gave me a counterpart to these seven natural summits in seven spiritual summits, and I want to give them to you very quickly. Number one, there's the summit of recognition. When I'm in God's presence, and Anusha and I love to pray in the morning and pray at night and worship God and spend time with the Lord in the cars or wherever we are as much as we possibly can. So that when we do that, these things, I think, this is what God reveals to us. One, there's the summit of recognition. Recognition that God is holy and I need to be. Can somebody say amen? The Hebrew word is kadash here. And it literally means that God takes the purest of heart, those that want to be pure, those that want to seek God, those that are hungry for God, he takes the kadash, he takes them out of the spirit of the ordinary and wants to use them. It's where we get the term, the call that God calls people. What is our problem? A.W. Tozer said it this way. He said, my problem is this. Maybe it's not yours, but my problem is that I want to mold God into what I think God should look like. To some degree, what color he should be, what language he should speak. I serve a white Caucasian God, or I serve this kind of God. But God can't be molded or put in a box. Can you say amen? So A.W. Tozer said something very, very, very profound. He said, look, it's not up to us to mold God into how we think that God should be, but instead God should be molding us into the image and the likeness of Almighty God. Then secondly, there's a reorganization. There's a summit of reorganization of my spiritual life and my priorities. Sometimes our priorities get hectic. One of the tricks of the enemy during the holiday season, during the Christmas season, is what? To keep your mind scattered and in the last days, if you've noticed that even in the church, to some degree, 
There is a scattering of the mind, and God wants to renew us and have us a focused people and a focused generation, focused on his word, focused on his promises. Of the 7,284 promises in the word of God, God wants us to stay focused and not scattered. Then there's the summit of the realization that my experiences on the summit of God, we can't do them all the time. We can't just live in the presence of God all the time, I suppose. But the moments that we had the golden opportunity to be on our knees or on our face, prostrate before God and cry out to God and just love on God and sing hymns and, and spiritual songs to one another, to worship God here at Bethesda on Sunday mornings means something. Not only to us, but it means something to the living God. Because when our praises go up, the glory comes down. Can somebody say amen? I learned this on the summit of the realization that when I'm allowed and invited, which is constantly, of course, to spend time with an intimate embrace of an Abba God, a loving Father, a paternal God that cares about everything of our lives, I realize that the moments that I'm spending time with Him gives me the strength to face the trials down here in real life. How many have learned there's really diapers in this life? There are really bills. There's cooking. There's pots and pans and all kinds of bills and doctor's reports and house rent. Time with God gives me the strength to spend time doing the natural things that I need to do. Then there's a rejuvenation. There's the summit of rejuvenation of my faith. I don't know about you, but I need my faith increased every single day to believe God is still a God that can do impossible things. With man, ah, but with God, all things are possible for them that believe. Then there's something else. There's the summit of release and revelation of his will. That's where I knew. Spending time with God, that's how I knew. After I met the Lord, began to have a series of dreams. I had uh, 54 dreams of a woman. I didn't know where she was. I didn't know she was in Russia. I didn't know where or how to find her. All I knew that I knew from the dreams that God was showing me I would meet and marry her. My brother-in-law gets saved, goes to Russia, Long story short, he meets her, he sends me a, a photograph, I recognize her from one of the dreams I had, I wrote her a letter, I sent her a telegram, proposed to her in a telegram, and she said, yes, hallelujah, thank you, I love you, honey. And then last of all, there's the summit of rejoicing. You know, we're happy when we get something shiny underneath the tree, but what about the gift of rejoicing? At all times, in all circumstances, in all places, maybe you won't get the exact gift that you would hope for underneath the tree. But God's given you the gift of life. He's given you breath. He's given you food. You've got vehicles out there. Come on, somebody. You've got a roof over your heads. God's been good to us. Can you say amen? amen. Psalms 28 and 8, David said what? I love your house because... It is the place where your glory and your presence dwells. The Hebrew word for dwells there is very instructive for us. So listen carefully. It's the word Y-A-S-H-A-B. Yes, have. And it means that God will dwell with us, that he will actually come along and sit beside me. Now, am I saying that he's going to sit beside you in the pew? I'm not quite sure, but I know that where two or more are gathered, he has promised what? To be there among us. Amen. Psalms 26 and 8, David said, I love your house because of the place where your glory dwells. I'll tell you a little story very quickly. 
after uh, I was, uh, met the Lord and got delivered from drugs and alcohol, I mean, when God came down to my room in Miami, Florida, 42 years ago, I mean, he, he just, he did, he did something. And uh, I, I just met the Lord. I mean, it was just phenomenal what God can do in the life of anybody, whether it's drugs and alcohol is your background or you're just born in the church, amen? God is still changing the lives of people. And uh, got off the floor, was changed, and uh, got with my brother-in-law and my sister, and um, we, you know, I gave everything away when I came to the Lord. I had an owl, I had a wolf, I had all this stuff and collection of stuff. I was in the construction business and doing really well, and I didn't want it anymore. That's just me. I, when I came to the Lord, all that stuff was stuff to me, and I just, I just gave everything away. I just left it there, called my dad, gave it all away, found houses for the animals, and left with my guitar and the clothes on my back, and that was it. And even when I got to Bible college in Melody Land, I gave the guitar away. And anyway, I just wanted to do that. Wanted to get rid of all the stuff, the excess baggage or stuff in my life. And then I went to Florida to join my sister and my brother-in-law. And well, he had been an attorney, went to prison, got out, met Jesus in prison, and on and on. And he was flat broke. So we had two guys that loved Jesus, and we were both broke. Does that sound like anybody you know in here? Amen. <laughs> so... Uh, we, uh, we uh, started putting in feelers for Bible school and seminary where we wanted to go, and we decided to go to Miller Land at that time, and they accepted us, and we didn't have any money to buy a car. We didn't have a car. So we bought a 1956 GMC school bus. It was yellow. Remember those? It was a four-speed, flathead six-cylinder, I believe. I remember right. And we bought that old school bus, and it didn't run. We paid $145 for it, if memory serves me correct. That's big money back then. Well... Uh, we took paintbrushes because we, we couldn't afford to rent sprayers and that kind of stuff. Anyway, we took paintbrushes and paint, and we painted that old school bus. And on the front of it said, Jesus is Lord. And on the side of it said, King of Kings. And on the other side, I don't remember, but we got a lot of unusual looks all the way from Fort Walton Beach, Florida, to Anaheim, California, was about 2,420 miles. Now, we slept in the parks because it was cheaper, because we didn't have any money. People would just stop and hand us money. Well, about 200 miles out of Fort Walton Beach, reverse gear went out. For all the Baptists in here, we couldn't back up for nothing. <laughs> you know, I learned a lot on that bus. <laughs> One, don't, if you've got a bus and you want it repaired, don't call me. I'll call you. And I wouldn't want to do it again, but it was a glorious adventure. But God taught me some things on that trip because all I had to do was either drive, sleep, or look out the window. And what I chose to do was just read and pray and spend time with God as much as I possibly could. And there's a couple things that God gave me on that bus that I have had all these years, and I had forgotten about it, and I got it out the other day. And I'm going to read this to you very quickly. Do you know that God loves building trophies from the scrap heap of disappointments? There's something else he loves to do. He specializes in making clean instruments of beauty from the filthy failures of our yesterdays. He's always there to lift the burden of the present and the future trials by decreasing your anxiety as much as we're letting. And then there's something else that God taught me on that bus he taught me to hold the things of the world very lightly, like, like, a, like a little wounded bird in my hand, so that he would rule in my life without rival. Let me tell you something, friends. I think that's good advice for all of us. 
that we hold the things of this world lightly in our hands so that God can rule without revival. There's a little story I heard the other day about a guy who, not a believer, and he's uh, a bigwig in, in a whatever in this particular agency or uh, business, and so he's going to a seminar, and he's the speaker, and he's late, and he arrives, and there are no parking spaces left, and so uh, he looks over, and there's a church called Bethesda next door, and uh, nobody's there, or it doesn't appear to be anybody there, and so he just sees the first parking spot, and it was the pastor's parking spot, and he just pulls in and parks there. And the sign, I don't know whose spot it is. I'm not saying, okay? But the sign says, um, forgiveness is my business, but please don't press the point. (laughs) Don't make it any harder. Sometimes the things we do make it harder on God instead of easier on God or easier on our relationship with the Lord. Well, the brook dries up, as you remember the story, and God gives him new marching orders. I love the brook Cherith for a lot of reasons, and it's been, been preached often, but let me just bring this to your attention about Cherith. I'm sure you know this, but it is, in Hebrew, it means literally a cutting of way. I, I know this, in following the Hebrews out of Egypt into the promised land, that they had a little temporary stop with Joshua, and God said to them, now all these guys that were with Moses, they've died. And there's a new generation, we call it the Joshua generation, and they haven't been circumcised. And so they stop and circumcise them, which is a sign of covenant. And God allowed them a period of time to stay there in that city until healing took place. You know, during Christmas time, there are more suicides, even today, than any other time of year. There's a lot of cutting. There's a lot of hurting. There's a lot of lonely, desperate people during this holiday season. And God allowed them to stay there. And God took the prophet Elijah, who had stood in the presence of God, who knew God, who walked with God, spoke for God. He's now at Cherith, and God does a cutting of way. You know, in my life and your life, I can only be used to the degree that I allow God to cut the flesh off me. Can I say to you, it's not the carpet. It's not the songs that we sing. It's not earrings, no earrings. It's not makeup, no makeup, at least to me. It's the heart that matters. It's the spirit of the man, the spirit of the woman, the desire of the individual that matters. I'm sure there's there's a balance there. And I believe in balancing too much or not enough for those kinds of things. But sometimes we get to a point in our lives when there needs to be a cutting away, lest we carry around with this baggage that keeps us from climbing the summit and spending time with God. About three years ago, Anoush began to have difficulties with her jaw. And long story short, uh, we went to, the, uh, went to a specialist, and they took an x-ray, and uh, the next thing we know, the doctor's saying, you have cancer in your jaw. Now, she's never been sick a day in her life that I ever remember, and she has perfect teeth. I mean, teeth, what I call television teeth. You know what I'm saying? Just perfect. And all of a sudden, here's a woman of God who prays more than anybody I've ever met in my life, and she's got cancer in her jaw, and so we go to the hospital that day, and uh, we prayed before. This is a wonderful Christian doctor, and he had another doctor with him, and there were four or five nurses in the operating table. And so they operate. They're halfway done, and the doctor comes out. And I'm in the waiting room praying, and he comes out to me, and he says, Alan, you know, he said, uh, we've sent a biopsy out, and it came back 
So we did another one. They can do that. I didn't know they could do it in the hospitals, but they did it there. And it, it came back positive. Indeed, there's cancer in the jaw. So here's what we've got to do. Now, I, I, I don't claim to be anybody, any great man of faith, whatever. But I just know that faith pleases God. And then when we pray, we believe that God answers prayer. And I told the doctor, I said, look, I don't know what's going on in there, but I've just spent time in prayer, and I've, I just sense and feel without a doubt that God is going to heal it, and there's not going to be any cancer there. He goes back in. I don't see him for another hour and a half. He comes out. He said, Alan, I've ne-, he said, I've never seen this in 30-some-odd years of surgery. He said, when we went back in the soul upper jaw and do all this, take bone out of here and put it here and do all this stuff, he said, the cancer was gone. This isn't a story about us. This is a story about the validity of what happens when we pray, we seek God's face, and we're serious about spending time on the summit with Almighty God. Watchman Nee said this in his book, The Normal Christian. A lot of you have read that book. He said this, I must first have the sense of possession, of God's possession of me, before I can have the sense of God's presence with and in me. What is he talking about? When you read the New Testament, you see the terminology that Paul used, slave or servant. You see, in those days, a servant could quit. A servant could go to work for someone else, but a person that was a slave could not quit. He was there because the master owned him spiritually and in those days. So the difference that Watchman Nee is talking about, he's saying, look, you can be a servant. You know, you can be... um, a servant in someone's house. You can be a house cleaner, those kinds of things. You don't belong to that person. You belong only as much as there may be a contract or they're paying you per visit to clean per hour. But a slave is different. A Christian slave is different. He, she is an individual that has been sold out 110% to the kingdom of God. They're not their own because we what? We know we have been what? Bought with a price. So we have the ability, God is calling us, and what does Hebrews tell us? That if we have a difficulty, if we have a problem, then we are invited into the holy of holies, into the presence of an awesome God. And it also says in Hebrews what? That we have a high priest that sympathizes, that understands, though he was without sin, and we have sin or whatever, but know that we can go in the presence of God, and he's not in there with a big baseball bat. He's in there with open arms. He loves us and he cares about us. And he said, come unto me, all ye who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Well, we have two boxes. Christmas boxes, if you were. And um, in spending some time with God this morning, I felt he wanted to give each of you a Christmas card. And I got ahead of myself and gave you the scripture. But I believe that if you could put all the scriptures together in the word of God that could encourage us this morning, this is the one that encourages me the most. Aside from John 3.16. Come unto me. All you who are laboring heavy laden, that I will give you rest. And take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Let me ask you something this morning. Are you tired? Are you tired? 
Do you feel worn out, burned out, trialed out? During the holiday season, it happens. But generally speaking, around the country right now, there are people who are feeling the onset, if you would, of the enemy or the trials of life and the pressures of life. And you know what? That's the gift that God gave us outside of Bethlehem, of the story of the birth of Christ, of all the things he could do is issue another, not that he needs to, but this morning he gives us another invitation. He sent us a personal call in the word of God. If you're a burden this morning, if you're heavy laden. Now, I know we put on our best face at Christmas. We put on our Christmas face. We put on our Santa face. We put on the, you know, the, the Christmas party and the gathering and the extravagantist face. And so nobody wants to look sad at Christmas time. But friends, the truth be known, come on now. The truth be known, behind the smile, there are people that need something. There are people that are hurting. There are people that are despondent. There are people that are, have anxiety issues. There are people that are distraught. There are people that need help. There are people that need to hear from God just one more time. Yes, God does love you. Yes, God cares about you. Yes, God can change the circumstances, whatever it is. I want you to stand with me right now for a moment. Now, God gave you a card, and I just read it. He's given you something, so many, many things. But what about you? What are you going to give to God this morning? And you're probably thinking, well, I know what he's going to ask. He's going to ask for me to give God my life. Well, the box is empty. The box is empty. There's nothing in the box because this is a gift this morning from you to God. What is the one thing? Does God need an iPad? What does God need this morning? What is the one thing you can give God outside of your life? In the card that God, I read from you that I believe is from the Lord, the invitation is then is what? For you to give God what? Is to give God the hurt, to give God the, the worry, to give God the concern, to give God your pain, to give God your sickness, to give God your needs, to give God those things that you're looking for and needing. This becomes right now, for the next three minutes, that spiritual summit. And right now, in Jesus' wonderful name, sincerity of heart, if you need to give God something, we can call it the river of life, we can call it the foot of the cross, whatever it is, I want you to come very quickly, and we're going to take three minutes, and that's it, and then we're going to close. My time is up. I want you to come right now. The invitation is, I want you to bring anything down here this morning that needs to go back to God. Whatever burden you have, whatever need you have, whatever problem you're facing, whatever sickness you have in your life, right now in Jesus' name, I want you to come. In Jesus' name, I want you to come. And uh, prayer people, if you'd come very quickly, amen, just come on down, amen. I know we've got a piano player somewhere, amen. Go ahead, brother. Something very nice, soft. Just bring God whatever you have this morning, amen. I just imagine for a moment you have a spiritual pen and paper. Maybe it's this. What about this? Maybe you have never totally and completely given your life to God. Maybe this morning and you come to this church, you've been a part of this church or whatever, and you come, but you've, there's a distance between you and God. The angel would be okay, but maybe you're afraid of God. Maybe you've been wounded in the church. Maybe you've been hurt. I don't know what the problem is. I just want you to come. And these people will pray with you very quickly, and we'll pray just a, a common prayer. 
But I want you to bring that burden, specifically burdens, whatever they may be, and just bring them. That's what you're going to give to God. God can handle it. God can deal with it. God's big enough. God's strong enough. God will take care of you. God will see you through this thing. Close the gap this morning if there is a distance between you and God. Close that gap right now. Bring it to God. Come on, just come stand right here. Come on, we'll pray with you very quickly. Amen? Come stand right here. Bring your burdens. Bring those difficulties. Bring those problems. Bring your sickness, whatever it is. And we'll come pray. Come pray for standing in the gap for a loved one. Someone that you care about that's not serving God. A friend, a relative is in jail, in prison, whatever. Come stand in for them right now and we'll pray very quickly. Amen? Come on, let's pray.